Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of PA Insights with NCCPA. I'm your host, Jeff Boswell, and we've got a great episode for you today. In this episode, we talk to Alicia Crabtree, a certified PA, about her experience providing healthcare services to the homeless population. Next, we chat with certified PA and NCCPA Health Foundation board member Aaron Crown on how all certified PAs can be psych PAs and that they can make a difference in their patients' mental health. Then, Director of Research Andre Kozakowski and Research Analyst Colette Jeffrey share demographic and workforce data and trends for certified PAs by specialty. Finally, we share some good news about Mary Vakela, a certified PA who served as a medical provider for an incredible group of athletes at this year's Paralympic Games in Tokyo. Let's get started. At PA Insights with NCCPA, we always jump at the chance to talk to PAs and share their incredible and inspiring stories. And we're fortunate today to be joined by our first guest, certified PA Alicia Crabtree, who works in emergency medicine and also works to provide health care to a group that is severely underserved, and that is the homeless population. Today, Alicia is joining us to talk about her experience in this particular setting and how other PAs can get involved in providing health care to those experiencing homelessness. So welcome, Alicia. We're so happy to have you with us. Thank you so much. I'm honored. Thank you. So great. Uh, Alicia's coming to us uh, from Maricopa County in Arizona today, but could you tell us a little bit about your background? What made you decide to become a PA and, and, and what made you decide that maybe this was an area of treating the homeless that maybe you wanted to seek out or, or know more about and then become involved with? So, you know, I grew up underserved um, with a single mom in actually Sunny Slope, which is in Phoenix, and we, you know, we didn't have access to healthcare. I never had a primary care provider, and when I was in my freshman year of high school, I dropped out of of school. And my goal, I think, when I was little, was always, you know, I always thought, oh, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a, a physician. And so those dreams were sort of put on hold. I returned to school when I was 25, and I had a five-year-old starting kindergarten at the time. You know, I was pre-med. And I started to think, what is my end goal? And I started to sort of explore, um, you know, the careers and, and, and what that would look like. And I think the end goal for me was providing care to those who, who are underserved, you know, in, in a primary care capacity, serving communities like the one that I grew up in and, and serving the population that also lacked maybe access to care. And so, you know, it wasn't really about title for me. It wasn't really about, do they have to call me doctor? It was about me reaching that population and and providing care. I was also curious too, when you talk about how badly maybe you wanted to have a medical career of some kind as far back as maybe high school or in your childhood days, what was it about the PA profession and how did you get introduced to PAs as one of those options and maybe nursing or or becoming a MD wasn't for you or you just decided on this path of becoming a PA, I should say? I have to tell you, I had an experience where I was an undergrad and I had the worst sinus infection I mean, you know, 15 days of just like the sinus pressure and I ended up going to an urgent care. And at this time in my mind, I'm like that pre-med student, you know, I had taken the MCAT, I was pre-med, I'm gonna be a physician. And I actually saw a PA 
And I remember being so impressed by the bedside manner, the thoroughness of which I felt I was treated. And so that is when I started to say, well, what is a physician assistant? What's my end goal? Can I achieve that as a PA? And, and I think really through my own search and, and through that experience, I decided that PA was just going to be a better fit because, you know, in the end, it was really about me bridging the gap in care for the underserved. And, and I'm able to do that as a physician assistant. And so that's where I'm, I'm so passionate about what I do with Circle the City because this is what we do. We meet patients where they are in the community, whether it be in our outpatient clinics or in our mobile units um, or in our respite center. We meet patients where they are, where their need is. Do they have insurance? It doesn't matter to us. We're there to provide, to provide a service. And Circle the City is the organization that, that you help uh, with here. And, and how long have you been with them in helping the homeless? Uh, I started with them in 2018. And so so right now I, I'm kind of a, we call it like a float. And so I kind of get to experience kind of all sides, all facets of um, where we provide care, whether it be, you know, one day I'm providing care in the outpatient clinic and another day I need maybe on a mobile unit parked out in, in Sunny Slope, you know, where in the community that I grew up in, you know, seeing patients as they come to our mobile unit. So uh, could you talk a little bit about when it comes to being in an organization like Circle City, Circle the City, excuse me, you know, I know you also work in emergency medicine. So is there a mix? Like, how do you balance uh, for those PAs out there that are saying, I'd love to volunteer somewhere? Uh, or I'd love to give my services to an organization like that. But what does that really mean uh, in my day-to-day life? Uh, what what is what is a week uh, for Alicia Crabtree really look like when you're balancing all of your um, medical uh, provider obligations? Oh my goodness! Yeah, I mean, so there are definitely um, some weeks I, I work quite a bit. Um, I, you know, there's days that I'm, you know, in the morning I am at Circle the City for a couple of hours before I drive and and provide care in the emergency department. Um, but you know, I think what keeps me going is, especially in providing care in both settings, is just a passion to treat and, and care for patients. And I think, too, it's two different areas of medicine. You know, emergency medicine has its own stressors, but it would be difficult to work as much as I do if it was all in the same specialty, if it was all in the same branch of medicine. And so it's it's nice to be able to connect patients on, on both ends. And something I really want to speak to, too, is in emergency medicine, you know, I'm seeing and I'm discharging. I'm seeing and I'm discharging or I'm seeing and I'm admitting. And so I don't get to see that continuity of care. And, and I don't get to provide and kind of break down the barriers that are often placed on us in, in that setting. And so with Circle the City, I, I get to do so many fun things. I mean, I, I can have a patient that comes in that's homeless, that's been lost to primary care for years, that's maybe diabetic and has high blood pressure and has no medications, but, but also wants resources for housing and wants a shower for that day and wants a meal. And so I'm able to work with that patient as sort of a whole person. So I'm getting them medications. I'm, you know, here's your you know, shower, here's lunch. 
Um, oh, wait, well, I have a community navigator. Let me get my community navigator to find shelter options. And I have a licensed clinical social worker that can also help. And so it's sort of, you know, full um, whole person care for our patients. And so I think it's great to be able to provide care in kind of both aspects, but certainly more so um, with what we provide at Circle the City. And I think that is uh, such a great thing to uh, say about yourself and your character and we and how much it's appreciated and not just uh, helping people with their medical issues necessarily, but maybe using that as an entry point to helping them get out of their homeless situation. And I think that that is something that we can all aspire to do. How has this COVID pandemic really impacted your work at Circle the City? Since the beginning of, of the pandemic, we've worked so closely with the CDC and with our community partners and city officials in really trying to provi provide the best care um, that we can and provide the safest you know, space for our patients. And our chief medical officer, Dr. Sandoval, has really been the oversight of, of that and just staying apprised to changes daily. Um, we've done thousands of COVID tests. We have, I think at this point now, provided something like almost 5,000 vaccines. And we do testing blitzes in the shelter and on the human services campus. And on our mobile units, we um, provide now vaccines, not only through our outpatient clinics, but also through blitzes um, and, and scheduled offerings on campus. And so, you know, our patients trust us, right? So it has been a privilege to serve in this pandemic and to serve, you know, this population. And so the other thing that's awesome too, it, I, I just thought about this too, is we also provide a space for quarantine for our patients. So if we test them and we're awaiting the results of this test and or if they're positive, we send them to a, a quarantine hotel where we're Circle the City also provides care daily at this at this hotel. We have a provider that goes there that monitors, you know, oxygen and just how well the patient is doing. And so really it's full circle. It's testing, it's quarantine, it's vaccines. And I'm just happy to be a part of it. That your group is really a frontline hero in in allowing people that may have slipped through the cracks uh, have access to vaccines and care uh, during this unprecedented time. And it must be incredibly rewarding. Has there been any interactions along the way that have really, for you, cemented the fact that this patient is why I came to do this in the first place? Uh, could you share a story like that with us? I can. You know, I think all of our patients, I feel like daily, I, I get reminded of, of why it is that we um, do this work. But I have this thing with desserts. I will go to restaurants just for the dessert, okay? And there's a place here that makes cakes, and it's called Nothing Bunt Cakes. And if oh, you're we in, have them here, too. Yeah, you, love them. Yeah, yeah especially the little ones. Right? Yeah. Just the little ones. Exactly. Exactly, right? So anyway, um, I'm out in, a, in, a, in the mobile medical unit, and I'm seeing patients actually in Sunny Slope, where I grew up. And there's this patient uh, that I see who had been lost to primary care, really just wanted a blood pressure check, vague historian, was living out in a tent. And, uh, you know, as I'm going through the kind of the primary care things, well, when's the last time you had lab work? Have you ever had a fit test? Um, have you ever had a, a general health and wellness screening? And he had had none of those things. 
so I, you know, I'm doing my physical exam. I noticed that he, that he has a hernia. And so we're getting him connected. And in the process of getting some imaging and getting him connected, we find out that, that this patient has a cancer. And so through this, I'm able to get him connected into the respite center and we're able to kind of full circle, get him care. He's now, you know, we have him in in treatment. I had him referred to oncology and he is off the street and he's in the care of Circle the City. And about two weeks after I had last seen him, I receive a delivery to the outpatient clinic and it's a nothing bunt cake. It's a thank you from the oncologist who I didn't even know, who didn't know me or my dessert choices or my love for desserts, but just I randomly received this nothing but cake saying, you know, thank you for your referral. And I kind of felt like it was just life in full circle. That really is incredible. Unbelievable stories. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it also says something about the oncologist. You were bringing them someone in need and they served them and then they thanked you for the opportunity to serve them. That's fantastic. Absolutely. And what advice would you have for other certified PAs or PA students that are out there and might be interested in working in this kind of environment? How could someone um, take the first steps to get involved? For PA students, I would say, you know, really look closely at what your mission is now. Well, even as pre-PA students, I would say, look at your mission and and maybe try to do some volunteer work that maybe matches that mission and finding a program um, that's a mission match for you and, and providing those, those services. And for, I would say for PA students and for PAs working in the field, you know, look, look into your communities and see what opportunities um, there are in, in serving the underserved. I know, you know, I think it was just a little Google search that helped me to find Circle the City, but I know there are other organizations that are looking and there are community health centers um, that are bridging those gaps as well. And, and so, I, you know, I encourage anyone in, in the profession, reach out and, and look for those opportunities. Well, Alicia, it's just such an uh, inspiring story, and we really appreciate your time today. Uh, It's so great to hear about the impact you're having as a certified PA out there in this underserved community. Uh, I hope that the message gets out there uh, and inspires other PAs to follow what you've done and follow your lead in this direction. So again, thank you for your time. I hope it was as fun for you and enjoyable for you as it was for us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Alicia Crabtree, certified PA, giving her all to the homeless efforts in and around Phoenix. And I would encourage you all, as we've already said throughout this entire uh, conversation today, to do the same in your community if that is what is uh, calling you, right? And we'll be back with more PA Insights with NCCPA in just a moment. We're back and we're now joined by another certified PA to talk about mental health and more specifically how all certified PAs, no matter your specialty, can make an impact in this critical area of patient care. Erin Crown is joining the podcast today from Pennsylvania, where she works in psychiatry. She's been a member of the NCCPA Health Foundation Board of Directors for five years now and is currently serving as the chair for the foundation's Partners in Mental Health Steering Committee. Erin is a tremendous advocate for mental health, and we're excited to talk to her about her experience, how PAs can get involved, and how the NCCPA Health Foundation can support PA outreach in mental health. So welcome, Erin. How are you doing? 
Thanks, Jeff. I'm so glad to be here. So could you share a little bit more about yourself for our audience and your work and maybe uh, what led you to practice in psychiatry? I'd be happy to. Um, I've been a certified physician assistant for eight years, and I started in urology. It was the only job that was open at the time that I graduated that was commutable. And I was a single mom with three kids at home at the time. So I was not willing to look outside of that commutable area. So I took the job in urology, uh, but my undergraduate is health science and psychology. So I knew going into PA school that psychiatry was where I really wanted to land. So about six months into my position in urology, I had an opportunity to move into a role at a mental health hospital, an inpatient facility, and also to have a role in the outpatient setting with that company. And I took that and that's where I got my start in psych. Oh, that's fantastic. And I, I bet you're in a distinct minority from going to from urology to psychiatry. That is a, a unique path for sure. And as we mentioned, you've been serving as a board member with the NCCPA Health Foundation for several years now. So could you tell us what's the Health Foundation's interest in mental health? Sure. I came on to the Health Foundation board when they were launching their uh next strategic plan, which included a specific interest in mental health. And that was really what drew me to apply for the for the role in the first place. And so uh, when I made the application and did the interview and was elected, um, I was absolutely thrilled. And when I came on board, we were really just beginning to develop the work in this area. The Health Foundation had already done some amazing work in the oral health realm uh, for physician assistants, and we were kind of trying to figure out how to continue that and to move into this new area that was really gaining so much attention nationally uh, for various reasons, um, school shootings, um, increased rates of suicide across the country, different things like that. And so that was where I got my start. Since then, we have developed a mental health work group. We, the year that I came on, we um, met at a mental health summit, the steering committee uh, prior to my chair of it had developed a, um, a mental health summit that was attended by the six PA orgs and several stakeholders where we just kind of gathered to figure out where we were going to go from here. How were we going to raise awareness and how were we going to get physician assistants more deeply involved and engaged in this movement? And from there, we there was a publication, uh, the outcomes of the summit, and the steering committee has continued to meet. And, and since my coming on the board, I have taken the role as steering committee chair. And it has just been really pretty remarkable, the things that we have accomplished uh, in our time. And it's great that they put that level of importance to something as critical of an issue as mental health really is. Uh, so let's talk about what are some of the things that all PAs in any discipline uh, can do or should know about mental health. And is there uh, a way that they can help patients with mental health concerns? 
Absolutely. So, you know, there are some things that I think are really important for PAs across all disciplines to recognize first. And that is that mental illness is not something that people leave at home when they go to the neurologist and they don't leave it at home when they see the orthopedist or when they see the endocrinologist or or any other specialist that they might see and they certainly don't leave it at home when they see their primary care provider in fact many people who complete death by suicide have seen their primary care provider within the last 60 days prior to their completion of death by suicide When we can recognize that people, for example, with diabetes experience depression at two times the rate of other individuals, that's something endocrinology and primary care should know, recognize, and be uh, proactive about. When we consider the physiologic effects of mood disorders, such as anxiety, uh, that can elevate um, cortisol levels and just the stress of the mood disorder itself that can do that as well. And that result on things such as atherosclerosis, cardiology and primary care should know that as well. There's also a higher rate of individuals that complete death by suicide among people with comorbid chronic pain. Pick a discipline. They're going to see people with chronic pain, and those people have higher rates of of suicide attempts and completions than others. So, When we realize these things, we can understand that every time we see our patient in practice for a follow-up or an initial visit even, it only takes a couple of minutes to say, how's your mood? Are you having any problems with sadness or, or depressive feelings? Or how about anxiety? Are you struggling with anxious symptoms? People get very anxious as their physical health is is in poor condition. And just to take that moment to ask that question can really reveal a lot. You know, that can be an uncomfortable conversation. So do you think, could you recommend any kind of maybe terminology or or ways of uh, beginning the conversation with a patient? And also to that end, you know, the patient needs to be honest with the provider as well. What is there anything about maybe how a patient is feeling or if they're uncomfortable or possibly um, embarrassed or, or maybe they're even unaware of their situation that PAs could look out for as, well, this this patient doesn't really understand what road they're down, but I'm seeing something here that maybe uh, I could lead them to a mental health professional to to help more with it before it it gets to uh, a critical need. Patients, in my experience, are more likely to open up if they feel like the person that they're talking to is really interested and engaged, right? If If they're experiencing that connection with them, that makes them feel like you're not just hitting a checkbox. And so at the same time, it's important for the physician assistant to be their natural self. You're going to be most comfortable having the conversation when you use your own language that you're comfortable with. I often just simply ask the questions because there's really no reason to tiptoe around this. When the, when the statistics are what the statistics are, it is not unusual in your everyday life to encounter someone who is experiencing some level of depression, anxiety, or other psychiatric concern. And so simply asking, 
you know, hey, I know you're here because you've got this chronic back pain, but you just don't kind of seem your usual self today. Are you having any problems with depression or anxiety? How are you doing, right? There's no harm in asking the question. And I think sometimes providers get a little bit afraid to ask because maybe they don't feel equipped to do something about it if they do get a response of, yeah, I actually am feeling pretty depressed. And then they're like, oh, no, what do I do with this? This isn't what I see and do all day, every day, right? And I think that to to feel that way um, really should compel someone to be able to become knowledgeable about the small things that they can do to further have that conversation and just get someone some connection. You don't need to know how to diagnose it. You don't need to know how to treat it. Really, you just need to know a couple of things. And that's what is the most immediate way that I can get this person some assistance. There's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That's 1-800-273-8255. Or if your patient's more comfortable texting, there's also a 24-7 crisis text line where they simply text the word HOME, H-O-M-E in all caps, to 741-741. Maybe they're already seeing psych. Is this contacting their psychiatric provider or their therapist? You know, there are lots of things. Is this contacting a family member with them here just to let them know? And then the family member can help them get some assistance. It doesn't have to take a long time. It doesn't have to make the 15-minute visit turn into an hour and a half. And so there are some really simple ways that people can help. I think that's terrific. Those are two great resources. When we talk about uh, uh, certified PAs and in clinical settings, recognizing a possible issue, but to your point, not having to be experts in treating it, uh, just recognizing and then connecting to resources. Uh, what a great way to help your patients beyond the physical maladies that they have and getting into that mental health. So how can PAs get involved? What resources maybe does the NCCPA Health Foundation have that can help PAs make an impact in that area or any other kind of uh, resource that you can think of? So you can go to the Health Foundation website. It's nccpahealthfoundation.net. And we have articles and other links to resources on our webpage. Um, If you're in a clinic setting and you're using an electronic medical record, you can access uh, PHQ-9s, GAD-7s as brief screening tools. Um, Back to the Health Foundation, we offer mental health spotlights that you can uh, take a peek at. And we have our mental health outreach grant, and that's available to PA students as well as certified physician assistants. So maybe you're a phys- physician assistant in neurology and you're seeing people with dementia or with multiple sclerosis or some other you know, uh, neurological disorder, and you want to do some sort of a mental health project in, in the realm of neurology, you can apply for a grant to do that. You can be a certified PA in primary care or endocrinology or pick a discipline 
and come up with some idea, some creative idea to uh, to do a mental health project within your discipline, in your community or in your practice. And we would love to review your grant application and give away lots and lots of money for those uh, sorts of projects. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. And in doing so and being creative, uh, maybe you can even you know uncover a, a need out there uh, in your community that, that does need a spotlight shown on it. And I love that uh, the NCCPA Health Foundation does give those grants away as a way of of making sure that the issues of mental health and uh, really put uh, shine that light on different aspects of of health that every uh, PA out there should be aware of and, and have an understanding of and can therefore even better serve their patients and their community. This has been such an enlightening and hopefully for all certified PAs out there, empowering discussion on how certified PAs can be psych PAs, so to speak, and really make a difference in mental health. I hope that after listening to this discussion that no certified PA doubts their ability to help their patients when it comes to their mental health. There's so many resources that the NCCPA Health Foundation makes available to each PA that can really help them identify mental health needs of their patients and get their patients the care that they truly need, really helping them getting started in addressing their mental health needs and making an impact that we all know that PAs can make. So thank you so much for joining us today, Aaron. I appreciate every bit of information you were able to give us today. Thank you. It was great to be with you. Certainly learn more at nccpahealthfoundation.net, and there's more PA insights with NCCPA coming up, so we'll see you in the next segment. All right, for the final segment, we're joined by our favorite research duo, Andre Kozakowski, our director of research, and Colette Jeffrey, our research analyst. Welcome, guys. How are you? We're good. Thanks for having us back, Jeff. Well, these guys are back to share some insights from the 2020 statistical profile of certified PAs by specialty. There were some new things added to the report this year for PAs to get excited about, so let's get right to it. Uh, one nice feature of the specialty report is, like the statistical profile of certified PAs issued earlier this year, you have a comparative data from 2016. So what are some of the trends that you see over that five-year span? So after capturing PA workforce data for over nine years now, uh, we thought it would be interesting to show trends in addition to the snapshots that we previously showed each year. Supplying this trend information allows for seeing how the PA workforce is evolving over time. And uh, this year we have trend information on, on the top 25 specialties PAs choose to practice in, including five-year comparisons on PA demographics, practice characteristics, the services PAs provide to their patients, educational debt and income. It's funny because the educational debt is the one I always point out when I do my uh, presentation to students to introduce them to some of our researches. Those are kind of those uh, I'm not alone moments <laughs> when you figure out, oh, all of those people also uh, owe as much as I do or, oh, look at that whole chunk that owes more and I don't feel so bad. But uh, definitely some maybe some eased emotions during those things. Um, this year, we also see the addition of three new specialties to the report. So can you tell us what those specialties are and why they were added? Uh, yes. Uh, critical medicine, geriatrics, and plastic surgery are the new specialties that we added. Uh, these specialties have experienced a si sizable increases in the last uh, five years. Critical care medicine experienced, for example, 46% growth in the number of PAs between 
2016 and 2020. And this is an important finding in our report, given that uh, having more PAs practice and specifically in this discipline has been and continues to be essential uh, during the pandemic uh, to have capacity and capability to care for those hospitalized with COVID-19. Another specialty is geriatrics. So we, we saw a 28% increase, which is also important uh, given that the rise in the proportion of older adults in the U.S., the percentage of people 65 or older is projected to reach 98 million by 2060. And aging older adults um, experience a higher risk of chronic disease. And it's it's really imperative to have enough providers to care for the segment of our population. And a third one is plastic surgery. And there was a sizable increase of 25% uh, during that time. And I'd like to jump in too that we don't just have the 25 uh, specialties that we, those are the ones that we kind of, we highlight and put a lot of information in there, but also that there's information that report on all of the specialties. So we collect information on, on more than 60 specialties and we have that information included in the report as well. When you look at it, I believe that must be uh, a great way to see how uh, the breadth of knowledge that certified PAs have can really uh, be laid onto so many different aspects of healthcare. So it's really just the broad uh, medical knowledge that these certified PAs have that can extend to, if we're already saying 68 and there's more than that out there, that that's really kind of exciting, I think, for anyone even thinking about entering the profession or those maybe looking to do something else uh, as a certified PA now that they may want to choose to move to. So that's that's uh, really an incredible number. Uh, the topic of burnout uh, is something that we talk about often on the podcast, and it seems to really have come to the forefront of everyone's minds since the pandemic began. Does this report present any findings of burnout among PAs in different specialties? Yeah, absolutely. This is the first year we have collected information about burnout and uh, job satisfaction as well. It has proved to be especially important to examine, uh, given the challenging time PAs and other healthcare providers have experienced during the pandemic. The good news is that nearly uh, three-fourths of PAs are completely or mostly satisfied with their clinical position. Uh, specialties reporting the highest satisfaction include dermatology, where 78% are satisfied, and plastic surgery, with also 78% being satisfied. For job burnout, we found that nearly three-fourths of PAs said that they have no symptoms of burnout. PAs who report more burn burnout were practicing in critical care medicine. So 32% um, in that discipline reported at least one symptom of burnout and emergency medicine were by 31% reported at least one symptom. The nature of work in, in these two specific specialties requires PAs to routinely face challenging and unpredictable situations, often handling life-threatening conditions. And on top of that, we have the pandemic. So it seems reasonable to say that burnout increased due to caring for COVID-19 patients. And we know that these two specialties have been at the forefront of caring for, for these patients. Yeah, I think that does go hand in hand. I would imagine that anybody that's had to be on the front lines of the pandemic, like uh, emergency medicine PAs and critical care PAs, uh, would be really, we're hearing it across the spectrum of all the different healthcare professions uh, that burnout is an issue, especially uh, with those on the front lines. And it's why we need to show them so much appreciation for the the yeoman's work that they've been doing. And and I know that we all are looking forward to where this, uh, where this pandemic can start to settle down a bit. And I know it seems like maybe we're going to be living with COVID from now on, but uh, we, we really need to get uh, a handle on that. 
that to save the save the workforce and the healthcare system from from breaking as well. It's a very difficult situation. What other information can we expect to learn about the different specialties from this report? Well, like uh, reports that we've had in the past that we examine a lot of the demographic information of the PA workforce um, and examining that we we know that the PA workforce is still largely female with more than two thirds of the certified PA workforce um, identifying as female and uh, OBGYN and plastic surgery were more than 90% of, of those specialties are female. We also um, track the age of PAs where the, overall the average age of PAs is still 38 and that's held pretty steady since we started examining this data back in 2012. And occupational medicine has the highest average age with about 49. Uh, the average hours a week are about 40, and we do know that specialties of CBTS, cardiovascular thoracic surgery, neurosurgery, orthopedic surgeries, uh, they're averaging working about 45 hours per week. Um, something else that's new that we decided to examine this time around was telemedicine. So that we know that about 59% report that their uh, practice or their institution is using telemedicine. Overall, about 20% of the PAs are personally using telemedicine. Uh, the highest percentage where their practice or their institution is participating would be in the uh, specialty of neurology, where nearly three quarters of neurology practices indicate that they're using some sort of uh, telemedicine in their practice and uh, video conferencing is the most utilized uh, modality of telemedicine where um, in general pediatrics over 85% of those uh, PAs are using uh, video conferencing if, if they're using telemedicine. Very interesting. Another one of those areas that really has hit the accelerator, uh, maybe something that was already coming uh, technology-wise to our society and, and to the healthcare profession, uh, certainly as it pertains to certified PAs, but really uh, accelerated during this pandemic because its use has become so much more widely accepted as, as a way that you absolutely can still get um, the needs met of patients through that, through that modality. That's fantastic news. Uh, so how can certified PAs and PA students use the information in this report? Sure. The report is the most comprehensive PA workforce data available. With We have over an 85% response rate. For PAs who fill out their profile, we have a tool within their portal that allows them to compare themselves to the entire PA workforce. And they also have the option to filter by PAs in their state, in their specialty, in their state and specialty. So they can actually see side by side of what maybe a PA and CBTS uh, in the state of California is making um, compared to what they're making when they input that information into their profile, which they can access through their portal. Um, we make it easy for PAs to identify any new questions and to update any questions uh, that they that may have changed, whether they're looking at that PA report or they're actually into the, in the profile. All they have to do is log into their uh, portal and navigate from the dashboard to get to that. And they can access that at www.nccpa.net. Yeah, it's important that you update your information uh, to ensure that all of our research reports on demographic and workforce trends uh, on the PA profession are as accurate as they possibly can be. Well, it's really one way that you can give back to the profession in, in the way that 
you get the reward uh, of of getting tremendous and accurate research uh, from our organization. So really important. And I, I also want to remind our listeners that if you're interested in looking at all these reports and checking out both our most current and even reports from the past, you can still go uh, to that very same website in ccpa.net. You click the resources tab on the homepage, it'll drop down and right there uh, you'll see NCCPA research. Just click that and you could download or look at any and all of the reports you want to uh, at your own leisure. And highly recommend that whether you're in a place where you're looking maybe to change to a specialty, if you're looking to move to a different state, maybe you're going to see where uh, some gaps could be in, in certain specialties in that state where you could then go look for employment. Or if you're ne negotiating salary, there's so many uses for those reports and they're right there uh, at that resources tab uh, on our website, nccpa.net for you. And they're designed by our two guests here that I really want to thank for their time today. Andre Collette, it's so wonderful to have you yet again. You do great work for NCCPA. Thanks again for joining us today. Thanks for having us again, Jeff. It was nice to talk about the report. Yeah, it was, it was wonderful. Thank you for having us. Thank you to all of you out there. And we'll look forward to talking to you again soon right here on PA Insights with NCCPA. It's time for a good news shout out. We recently came across a story about a certified PA from Savannah, Georgia, who is going to be traveling to Tokyo to work with the USA men's wheelchair basketball team in this year's Paralympic Games. Her name is Mary Vakela, and she's a certified PA who practices in orthopedics. She's practically made a career out of working with athletes at major sporting events. This year was actually her fourth time serving as a medical provider for a sports team for either the Olympics or Paralympics. I'm sure this trip was a little different than her previous trips with all the COVID restrictions and testing. But what an amazing experience to be able to be part of this team who, uh, by the way, happened to win the gold medal for the second consecutive Paralympics in their sport. Congratulations to Mary Vakela and the USA men's wheelchair basketball team. We always enjoy hearing about the neat things certified PAs are doing in patient care. So if you have a story to share, let us know at pr at nccpa.net, and we might feature you on our next podcast. Well, that wraps up this episode of PA Insights with NCCPA. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at NCCPA CERT, on Instagram at NCCPA underscore CERT, and on Facebook and LinkedIn, where you'll find us under the National Commission on Certification of Physician Assistants. Also, if you like this podcast and want to make sure that you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you enjoy podcasts. We'd also appreciate you rating us and telling us how you enjoyed the show. A big thank you to our guests who joined us today and all of you for listening. I'm Jeff Boswell. This has been PA Insights with NCCPA. NCCPA.